And a three, two, one. Hello, and welcome to Pock Saga. Let me start over. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I said Pock Saga. Well, you know, yeah. like Pocky. Mm-hmm. Well, who doesn't love Pocky? I love Pock. Yeah, Pocky Saga. Yeah, we chronicle our taste for Pocky. I only like the chocolate ones. Other than yeah. that, don't care for any of the others. To be honest, I'm uh, I'm on the same boat. I'm not a huge like strawberry or like uh, uh, you know what? I take that back. I like the cookies and cream, the chocolate sticks, and the cream. I don't know. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> There's okay. a matcha one that's pretty tasty. Ah, uh, fuck matcha. Anyway, don't ask <laughs> me. Um, all right, here we go. Let's try it again. Pop Saga, you know we keep it groovy. We talking cartoons, books, TVs, and movies. A couple of nerds, but got style. We so cool. Pop culture, talking new and old school. Yeah, you should know we love hip-hop. From the roots, Ty Lib, shout out to Feral Munch. We giving you what you want. It don't get no liver. Ain't no doubt we gotcha. This is Pop Saga. Let's go. Oh yeah, you heard right. This is a lifestyle. Welcome to the nerd life. Pop side. Hello and welcome to Pop Saga, the podcast that chronicles the epic quest of two friends as they try to find shiny, funny nuggets of treasure in the dungeon of their pop culture obsession. My name is Forrest, and my player class is a bard who can't play an instrument, but instead must rely on his nonstop japery. And I am joined, as always, by the most stalwart co-host in the biz, John. John, what class are you? Oh, barbarian, baby. Yeah? Yeah, let me just get in there and just start. No, that's not true. I, I actually play whatever class you need me to play. But for this one, barbarian. Okay. Rough, tough, ready to rage out, punch stuff in the face. <laughs> Rough, tough, and ready to punch stuff. That's the uh, uh, barbarian's goddamn (laughs) motto. Well, I think from now on you're going to have to go by barbarian. Barbarian. Yeah, uh, I love your pies. Barbarian cream pies are my favorite. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, if you haven't guessed, today's episode is about paper and pencil role-playing games. And um, I don't know about you, but I would say maybe Dungeons and Dragons is maybe the most popular uh, example of this at this point in time. Would you agree? Yeah, totally. Dungeons and Dragons is used on like broadcast television. You don't see them calling out Pathfinder or Riff or anything like that. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, yeah, they don't. <laughs> they don't. Not even on uh, that uh, that that beacon of nerd culture. Um. Uh, geez, the Big Bang Theory. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I, I hate forgot that what it's called. I never watch it. I'm sorry. I, I hate that show. Don't at yeah. me. Is that what you say? Yeah. Don't <laughs> yeah, at me. Don't at me. <laughs> yeah. Um. You know. I. Uh, yeah. I, I. I'm not a huge fan of it either. But I mean, a lot of people were. So if you are, like, watch something else. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're doppelgangers on the show, so. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah, right. Well, some uh, just so the audience knows, uh, I have been once or twice in my life mistaken for the actor Will Wheaton from Star Trek. So I'm sorry, Will. Um, I'm sure they just people just didn't have their glasses on. And listen, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I was. Uh, uh, I'm sure you're listening, and I'm sorry I was mistaken for you. Anyway, 
I mean, there are similarities. When I first met you, I thought, damn, this dude kind of looks like Will Wheaton. <laughs> no, he's not, but he kind of looks <laughs> like him. Well, I mean, how could you ever be sure, you know, besides <laughs> the fact of all the evidence? All the times I've asked you Star Trek The Next Generation questions, you never answered them. Yeah, like, uh, you'll just uh, kind of uh, surprise me with it. You'll be like, uh, what was uh, Sir Patrick Stewart like? And I'll be like, uh, he was great. I mean, I'm not Will Wheaton. Yeah, I mean, I think we've we've probably invoked his name enough. Um, yeah, you say it I'm, three times, he just shows up. Yeah, so. I'm looking in a mirror, I don't see him. Wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> it's when he pulls uh, you through the mirror, and now I'm talking to Will Wheaton. Yeah, uh, this is going to be great for the uh, SEO for this podcast. Yes, it is. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, um, let's start this off. Let me ask you a question. Uh, does this even count as pop culture? Does it even count as pop culture? Of course. At one point, Gary Gygax wrote a bunch of rules, was playing with his friends in his basement, take that however <laughs> you will. And from you know, and from that he took like a lot of inspiration from Lord of the Rings and other fantasy books of the time, and he willed something that was not really in existence, not the same way. You know, like, you'd have a lot of those people who'd play those large, in-real-time, like, war games in their basements that would, like, take up whole tiles and things, but nothing that really required, like, the use of, you know, your imagination, a bunch of different dice, and things like that. So, yeah, I would totally say that uh, tabletop, pen and paper RPGs are within the pop culture uh, uh, bookshelf. Yeah. Yeah, I I mean uh I'd have to agree. I definitely think that um this is a this is a subject that we probably wouldn't have considered popular culture, you know, maybe 20 years ago, maybe a little bit more, maybe a little bit less. Um but it definitely something it seems like something that is more widely accepted and known by more people now than it was when I was in high school. I think when I was in high school, it was still pretty, um, uh, I, I wouldn't say, I mean, I think stigmatized is the wrong word because it, it was just kind of related to somebody who, uh, maybe was a little bit more of a, a social outcast, but, um, and I only bring up that certain time frame because that's really when I, uh, got into, uh, paper and pencil role-playing, uh, games, uh, in earnest, but what makes this a, an important milestone on your own, like, personal pop culture quest? Well, shit, let's see, um... I've I got into uh, pen and paper um, uh, by my brother. My brother and his friends used to come over, and they would play Dungeons and Dragons and Marvel superheroes. And since he, my brother's older than I, he had to sit and babysit me. So I guess he'd uh, roll up a character, and then I would play in these games. And you know, first I wouldn't do too hot, and then after a while, I started. You know, doing better and better. And I'm telling you, I was like four years old when I think I played my first 
uh, pen and paper game, and it was uh, Dungeons and Dragons. I remember I was a barbarian, and um, yeah, oh, so much fun just being able to say make, made up stuff, you know, and then all of a sudden it would come to fruition all at the roll of a die. Um, so yeah, like at this point, on and off playing pen and paper RPGs for uh, 36 years now. Wow. So it, it's very, honestly, I would say out of all the building, out of all the building blocks of John, if I had to just think like, what is a whole coast and what is John? <laughs> I would sit there and say, you know, it's built on the backs of, uh, you know, Dungeons and Dragons, Marvel superheroes, Heroes Unlimited, uh, Car Wars, you name it. Like, my imagination, everything, a lot of my knowledge, that, well, knowledge, and for the folks at home, I'm putting that in air quotes, all (laughs) kind of stems from, you know, pen and paper. Yeah, um, and uh, do you think that that sort of early introduction to pen and paper RPGs has led you down your career path that you have today? I would say yes. Inadvertently, yes. Like, if I never... I don't think we've ever talked about what we do um, yet, or what industries we are in, but... uh, you know, we both work in video games. Indeed. Right, so... Um, and I kind of went the production route. And uh, with production kind of comes a lot of interactions that you do with different departments and things like that. That is content-related or uh, creative-related or marketing-related. All, like, really, again, was... All that comes from me playing pen and paper, role-playing games, reading comic books, drawing, you know, watching TV, like all the things that everyone told you that you shouldn't do. Right. And I did it, and literally it's like the biggest boon for me in uh, career-wise is being able to be like, oh, well, draw the van braces like this. And then someone looks at you and goes, what's a van brace? And I'm like, oh, <laughs> well, wrist guards, like armored yeah, wrist boy. guards. You know, and they go, oh, okay. But, you know, knowing that word comes from Dungeons and Dragons. Absolutely. You know, um, that guy, you know, your fictional example there, sounds like he doesn't have a uh, trained skill in lore. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely not. (laughs) He's definitely, he's not an armorer either. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I, um, I came to uh, paper and pencil RPGs kind of th- circuitously, I guess. I don't feel like I really got into them in earnest, like I said, until high school. But um, I know I, when I was growing up, I saw my older brother playing these very sort of complex games that he would make up and he would make the rules up for, and that always fascinated me. Um, it was always something that I never really understood, but wanted to take part in. And when I got that first red box with uh, the starter set for Dungeons and Dragons, it was just so enthralling to me. And it has been, much like yourself, has been enthralling to me to this day. I, I don't play as often as I used to, obviously, but 
everywhere I go, work-wise, I, I'm always the first one to, to try to get people interested in a lunchtime game. And um, uh, I guess it's just fortunate that we live in a time where that kind of thing is uh, something that more people are open to. Um, so uh, it, it continues to be a way to uh, to to get to know people um, that you work with every day, and and um, just a one of the to me, it's one of the more imaginative, uh, f- fun ways to play a game. And when you get something that really works, and a lot of people who really kind of gel together, there's a few other experiences that can measure up. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where a lot of times if I'm with uh, people who I've played either in long games with or really memorable games, um, we just kind of sit there and, you know, we would talk about this, uh, you know, like the, the mission or episode or however it was, you know, framed by the uh, DM slash GM. And we'd talk about it like we did it, you know, like, oh, yeah, then remember when you climbed up the side of the building? It's like, yeah, I shouldn't have done that because those guys were shooting right at me, you know. Mm-hmm. Like, but we were talking about, like, we almost kind of lived it. And uh, I, I got that sense from uh, watching a, a interview with, what, Joe Magniello. Mm-hmm. And he was talking about the same thing, about how he just kind of, like, when he talks about it, he talks about it in a sense of... You know, yeah, I, you know, Traynor, the half-elf <laughs> ranger, you know, went over, stood on top of a rooftop and proceeded to shoot people with arrows all day long. Not, my character Traynor did this and then he did that. No, I, when I play the character, I am the character for that time. Yeah. And uh, we should explain for anyone who doesn't know um, that the actor that you're referencing... Uh, Joe Magli. <laughs> Magliano. I, I'm sorry, uh, Joe. I'm sure you're also uh, listening. Maybe you and Will are listening together. Uh, maybe you're friends. Maybe you hang out. Uh, maybe that's just in my mind, but that's fine. Um, he uh, he is probably best known for being the um, werewolf on on uh, True Blood. And uh, Deathstroke in that uh, movie, which is called Justice League. Yeah, he's also known as uh, Sofia Vergara's husband. Yeah. And uh, uh, your friend and ours, not really, of course, um, Vin Diesel, who uh, talks at length about his uh, fondness for his D&D character. I believe there's some tattoos in Fast and the Furious who are directly related to that character. Yeah, he, he's kind of dirty with the D&D. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but I I, uh, I am on board. Wink, as wink, usual. nudge, nudge. Say no more, say no more. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I thought what we would do is we would kind of go through some of the big RPGs that we uh, we have liked. And RPGs, of course, for those who are uninitiated, stands for role-playing games, plural. And um, uh, I don't know about you, but I organized my list from sort of the, the, the games I played the most um, all the way up 
to D and D, and I don't think I, I haven't listed every single one on here. Uh, I've just kind of kept the lips list down to um, something that uh, or some games that I've spent the most quality time with. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I more than likely just going to assume here that I've at least played all the games that you're going to be talking about in some fashion. Um, some for extended periods of time. Like, you know, Dungeons and ja- Dragons, I've been playing that since forever in some form or another. Now there's some years I took off, but then, you know, I've gotten back into it. Um, so let's see your list. I'll see your list. And I'll raise you two pieces of eight. That's pirate stuff. But I'm sure there's an RPG out there for pirates. Um, Not for real pirates, of course. You shouldn't be doing that pirating thing. Okay? Listen, let me just talk just to the pirates in the audience for just a moment. Let's let's just go to the side here. Uh, Walk, 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 walk. Okay. (laughs) (sighs) Listen, guys. Um, Stop it. Anyway, the more you know. <laughs> um so uh okay let me just start with uh one of the ones that i think you know i collected a few books about it but it kind of came out um sort of late in uh the like initial time that i was uh playing a lot of uh paper and pencil rpgs and that one is deadlands hell on earth the uh, post-apocalyptic follow-up to uh, Deadlands uh, Weird West, I think is the what the original is called. I don't know. I did not play the original, but uh, I did play a little bit of Deadlands Hell on Earth, and that one is designed by Shane Lacey Hensley, and it was published by the Pinnacle Entertainment Group in the year of our Lord, 1998. Yeah, those savage worlds. Yes, Pinnacle Entertainment Group. So yeah, yeah, based on that that sweet sweet D twenty system that is so easy to pick up and play. Um, and to be honest, like I think maybe I only played a few games of it. Um, I was more really just interested in reading the books, and um, I love the concept of uh, stones infused with the power of like all these dead souls from the apocalypse. I was a very morbid teen, as you can probably tell. Uh, eyeliner was involved at some point. Um, I mean, what drew you to that book? Well, I, I mean, I think, to be honest, because uh, I'm an artist, uh, the art, it was cool. It had, you know, it had like a guy on a motorcycle that had a skull in the front, if I remember correctly, and, the, and it was bordered in this obnoxious green um like fluorescent green like uh, toxic waste pattern and it was um it was just very striking um that color is very ugly and hard to look at uh but it was the 90s so fluorescents were very <laughs> in um but uh i also i have like a soft spot for mixing something with uh the old west which is why I saw Wild Wild West in theaters. Story for another day. <laughs> but, yeah, like a way other day. But yeah. don't worry. 
I was probably in a theater roughly the same time as you watching it. Going, oh, this yeah. movie's going to be pretty good. I'm like, well, <laughs> look, Will Smith, uh, steampunk, Wild West, Kevin Klein. I mean, how can you possibly go wrong? Oh, and you forget Mr. Hamlet himself, Kenneth Branagh. <laughs> right, Kenneth Branagh as the bad guy. He doesn't. I mean, what is he even do? I mean, yeah, let's not get into it. Let's we got to save it. We got to save it. I can yeah, tell. I'll chamber it in. <laughs> I can tell chambered. this is a this is an old prospector's mind that is chock a block filled with gold. <laughs> I don't even know. I don't even know where to begin with that movie. Yeah. Like it, yeah, yeah, for another time. <laughs> just for another time. Wow. Yeah, I mean, that that might that might very well be the next episode with how much uh i like just talking about it just in that little bit but um you know if you i'm gonna say to you the the listening public if you like the sound of that if you (laughs) maybe it's (laughs) if it's your favorite movie maybe don't tune in but um if you have watched it and are kind of wondering what the heck is going on with that thing um stay tuned we will be covering it and that's a promise from me to you and that promise is as good as the aforementioned gold. <laughs> I just like if you want like it was just such a question like don't question this. This movie's a bad movie. <laughs> what are we even <laughs> The fact that I'm humoring the fact that I think it's a good movie is a problem. <laughs> yeah. Somebody out there is not a somebody out oh. there's gotta be a fan. Um, oh, I guarantee there's a, there is a collector out there who has all the things. They've got the little maquettes that they made for Spider Brano. Of course. They have probably the little uh, the pop-up gun thing that Kevin Klein has. Oh, yeah. Uh, someone owns, if it's not Will Smith himself, someone owns that costume, at the very least the hat. Oh, yeah. There's, there's someone who really loves it who's going to listen to this, and we're going to get added. Yeah. They are not going to... One star. But... Um, no, they are going to one-star. They are going to definitely one-star. But I ask uh, of you this. Uh, hold your thoughts. Wait till the episode and come in with an open mind. Maybe, just maybe, we'll find some common ground. P.S. We hate the thing you love. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, Deadlands. <laughs> so. Neon green... It's funny, I'm looking at it on my shelf right now. That's incredible. I My book is probably somewhere buried in mothballs in my uh, my mom's um, moldering basement. Just kidding, mom. Your book basement is great. <laughs> it's got mold. You're, 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 seri- you're obviously one of the only people who's going to hear this, so sorry, mom. Your brace- basement is great. Um, but it's probably molding away down there. I mean... Let's just be honest. There's a little, you know, moisture. It's got. It's more like a root cellar. Anyway, um, <laughs> please continue. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, I don't have any like uh, specific memories tied to this game necessarily. Although I do remember the first NPC I made was a junker who was very. It's, it was a very cool class. It was a a mixture of the. Uh, mad scientist class and i think another uh another class from the original game and it had some very complex rules about like sort of making your own weapons and how many points you can spend and um 
uh, I ended up making this ghost powered uh, like long gun or ghost soul powered long gun ghost rock I don't know whatever it was called long gun that uh, um, that was very powerful but could only shoot like every once every like I don't know 10 minutes or something um so I thought that was that was cool, but again, like I said, it came out in 90, 1998. Uh, that was like our year before I was about to go away to college, and I played a little bit with the people I played with in high school, but you know, naturally, time sort of ran out, so I didn't really get a chance to to dive into that one very deeply. Sounds like you've played it though. I I own the book. Um, I think I might have inherited it. I played the I've I know I've played the Savage Worlds system, which this predominantly uses, which is a um, hold on, let me put on my my spectacles. No, oh, uh, yes, put on those reading spectacles. Yeah, it uses the it it kind of uses a bit of the D twenty system. Uh, this is Savage Worlds anyway, but it's been modified and simplified in a way so it's a little easier to pick up and go um so i've definitely played a lot of savage worlds um as far as deadlands i played in a few games of course they're all wild west inspired i always played like a cowboy or something like that but nothing i would honestly say that was uh super memorable from any of those uh games yeah that makes sense Uh, do you have like it would I guess that would you Savage Worlds would be your equivalent to uh, my Deadlands. Um, I, so I ha- I have one here that I'm gonna go ahead and bet that you have never played, and I would be surprised if you heard uh, heard of it. To be honest. All right, shoot. Okay, this one is called Ninja High School, the manga and anime role playing game. Played it. Damn it. <laughs> I'm trying. I was actually trying to see if, if I'm, I'm looking at my shelf right now. And is and is it gonna be there? I don't have it, oh. but I do have. Uh, hold on. I do have hot rods and gun bunnies. Okay. okay. Big robots, cool starships. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, Sit on that for a second, because we definitely want to get to both of those. Um, but uh, so, Ninja High School, the manga and anime role playing game, is based on a comic series created by Ben Dunn, and this book was published by Battlefield Press uh, sometime in the '90s. To be honest, I could not find a lot of information about this because it just doesn't exist out there. Um, it looks like they were trying to kickstart another edition of it recently. Um, but from what I recall from playing this game, it is an extremely sort of thin game. It's sort of, the rules are not very deep. Um, they are meant to, to sort of replicate the most, uh, the highest level ideas and themes and concepts of that, uh, style of uh, high school anime where you know the kids have powers or some sort of secret tournament or they're possessed by demons or whatever and it kind of mashes all of that together it's got like giant robots it's got magical kids and and demon possessed kids and whatever i don't know if they were all kids but <laughs> it was high school so i'm assuming so um 
but that was an interesting because of course I picked it up because I was very into manga and anime at the time. Also, let me just take an aside and say the name makes no sense. The Ninja High School, the manga and anime role-playing game. You're just talking about like two different forms of the same stories, but whatever. Um, and so, again, this is not something I played a ton of games of, but I do remember like com- crafting an extra complex story. Um, it sort of started out with the whack- your typical wacky high school hijinks, and then transitioned uh, after an apocalyptic ex- explosion to this sort of like quest to uh, use the these elemental stones that each player is given that gives them like a special sword and, and a power, uh, like build the world and go back to their their high school existence. So. I had planned that all out. We played maybe like four or five games. We got into the apocalyptic part, and then, you know, for whatever reason, uh, it just kind of fell off. I remember reading the comic, and uh, I'm trying to remember the name of like the ninja because it was really terrible. <laughs> Hold on, I think it's like itchy. Oh boy. Oh man, this is gonna kill me. Probably Ichiku. Ichiku. Okay. Well, that sounds like something Ichi- a white person would. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like I mean, I, <laughs> no I offense, Ben like, Dunn. I'm sure you've, uh, I'm sure you, you had the best of intentions. I think that was the nickname, though. Like, I, I think there was a real name, and I'm just remembering that it's the, it was the fem- it was the female ninja character mm. with the little uh, cat ears, I think. Got it. That that wow. You you did dust off a name that I've not heard in a long time. <laughs> <laughs> Sent me, <laughs> shocked me for sure. So Obi John Kenobi. <laughs> What's? Um, I have not heard that name. For, okay. Um, this, this is another one where um, you probably played three more games than I did. Um, I'll I'll just I'll give this. Uh, this primer now typically um we loved role-playing games and my brother would buy a lot of them and we'd play like one maybe two and then they'd never be seen again that's exactly what like uh big robots and starships and all those books were were just like ones that i inherited from him that really, uh, very much to what you're saying, a very simplified system meant for you to be able to get in quickly, uh, really meant to mimic that anime feel, that larger than life. Because, you know, in certain games, it's a little harder to get that power scale right without it being either too ridiculous or extremely complicated to figure out. Um, So, yeah, so I'd say... My experience with Ninja High School, the anime in a cartoon role-playing game was the full... It's the Ninja High School, the manga and anime role-playing game. Yeah, so the that one I played like one time, don't remember it. God, this is, I'm doing bad at this. I thought I'd be like, oh man, I remember this rip-roaring... 
adventure. Yeah, we were in high school, and it really sucked. I had a term paper to turn in, and I turned into an engine. I left. Yep. That was it. Yeah, I, um, you know, uh, I think that's fine. (laughs) That game was... I like uh, made a lot more out of that game, uh, I think, than than was there. Uh, not to pat myself on the back or anything, but I was sort of stretching that system to uh, its limits in in the effort of telling a much more somber and meditative tale, which very much fits with my, um, you know, uh, with my very, um, I would say, melodramatic personality in high school. <laughs> That sounds like me, um, you know, making taking a very fun sort of popcorny game and making it about the end of the world and everyone's like uh, elemental destinies. Um, plus, you know, I just wanted there to be some sort of proxy for lightsabers. I, let's just be honest. Who doesn't? That's why I love. There's this game that's uh, based off of an anime slash manga called Tenchi Muyo. Oh wow! Yeah, I, I uh, I'm a big Tenchi Muyo fan as well. And they had a role-playing game that came out. Again, I'm looking at it on my shelf, and that was definitely where you could do some crazy stuff. Um, I remember uh, I created a character that was kind of like the same uh, race as uh, Ryu? Ryu? Uh, The the, the flying blue-haired character. Yeah, the space pirate? The space pirate, yeah. So I made um, a character that was the same like race um but then i was like well i'm gonna make him kind of like superman but he won't fly so much as he'll have um like a ship that he flies around in because he'll be like an intergalactic bounty hunter and it'll be like a scorpion that's what we'll call him so he'll be like yeah what's your name i'm scorpion i don't know why you asking me what my name sounds exactly (laughs) like me talking to you but i'm scorpion i practice in the mirror before i go out into the field hey What's your name? My name's Scorpion, of course. Thank you for asking. Wait, no, that's too polite. Let me just, like, rework that. Let's workshop this a little bit. Uh, hey, what's your name? Um, get over here. (laughs) (laughs) No, he was more, he was Kryptonian-esque, but I remember his, uh, his, his big thing was, and I don't know why, right? Like, I could have, I I created a spaceship, and you, you used, um, you could get parts and things like that. And um, I made it where I was like, well, I've always been a big fan of, like, the wave motion cannons that you get from, like, the SDF-1 or Captain Harlock or, uh, you know, uh, Star Blazers. Right. Like these giant death beams that shoot through space. So I was like, well, let me try to see if I can create a little ship that has a big punch. And sure enough, I did. It was It was shaped like a little scorpion. And uh, had two little, you know, scorpion claws in the front. Okay. Even though, again, I was an alien, but, you know, scorpions are metal, so had to do that. But uh, for me to do the giant death blast, I literally had to give uh, a piece of my life to do it. (laughs) Well, that's pretty creative. That's pretty cool, actually. (laughs) It's just because I think I couldn't figure out how to work this system in my favor. But it was a it was a compelling thing, you know, because if it, it it'd be different if I'd been able to use it all the time, because then at that point it would have lost its meaning. It'd been very much the the ending of Voltron, right? Like, okay, giant robe beast, 
these five lines didn't do anything. Let's turn into a giant man lion and fight this rogue beast. That didn't work. Oh, let's pull out the blazing sword, slice the rogue beast in half. We have won. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone's <laughs> every, always waiting for them to pull out the sword. Right. Like each thing would have ended like in two minutes. And Dinotherm's connecting a splat. Hey, we've won again. <laughs> Listen, uh, guys, I don't want to rock the boat or anything, but should we just pull out the sword now? No. We have standards. (laughs) First, shoot off the lion heads to bash into the robies. Yeah, that will do it, right? Oh, it never does. Why? (laughs) Every time it all... It's cool. I mean, like, a rocket punch is cool. A rocket-powered lion punch is at least 10 times cooler than cool that. Cool plus plus. But I would have rocket punched Lion with the sword in tow <laughs> just to finish this thing <laughs> from far away. Just put the sword in the Lion's mouth. You, yeah, you could just be you could be eating uh, chili cheese fries on planet Zebulon and just launch that from there. Just be like, all right, auto target. Gonna put the sword in its mouth, launch, and back to the disco, space disco. <laughs> yeah, like, I never got that. So, having my character have something that was, you know, like, oh, this will kill him eventually, kind of spawnish, you know, like a little abilities and stuff like that was a big, yeah, big, it, it was a lot of fun. Um, the system was a lot of fun. So, did you find that you were. Would you say that you're the um, the DM or the which is stands for dungeon master or GM which stands for game master uh, more than a player character or was it more fifty fifty? Oh, it 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 evolved. Um, I'm still probably more of a. Uh, it's probably like seventy thirty. I would say me being a player versus me um, uh, DMing, GMing. Um, especially with, earlier on, I would, um, you know, I would just participate in pretty much whatever games my uh, my brother or friends were kind of running at the time. Um, the first game I GMed was uh, Star Wars. Uh, Western games. Yeah, so I, I obviously have that on my list too. Um, originally I put it at number three, sort of, I'm kind of descending in importance, but that's not true. I think, weirdly enough, even though I have tons of memories of it, Rifts is probably number three. And, uh, you know, it's, I would say Star Wars is second to last in terms of, um, what I played the most, especially when I was uh, coming up. But uh, you—that's the—that's the first game that you you uh, game mastered. Because I'll say, just as an aside, I am probably the exact opposite in that I typically game master or DM or GM a game, and I, I have rarely uh, played as a character. Interesting. I mean, I just figured it was because I was dog shit at it, and um, <laughs> I uh, I had to work up the courage because it's a completely different uh, skill set to 
run a game than just to kind of be a player in it. Absolutely. Uh, I had the experience recently where I, I started up a game in the new Star Wars system, Edge of the Empire, uh, done by Fantasy Flight. Also, just want to, I don't know, I'm not going to talk about that uh, system that much because I haven't played it all that much, but um, I highly recommend it. It's very cool, and you don't even need to buy dice. They give away a free app that has all the dice in it, and it does all the calculations for you. Well, um, one thing, is it because the dice have images or pips? They have images. No, that's why. Yeah. Yeah, cause yeah, you have to buy special dice. Uh, yeah, good luck trying to sit there and decipher six-sided dice when you have four sides that got a fist and two exactly. sides. And yeah. Well, it, it, um, have you played the new Fantasy Flight system? I have. I have not. I did pick up the um, the starter kit because yeah. I, I wanted the kind of. It's weird. It's almost like a try before you buy type of thing, but I've never uh, fired it up. It's interesting. Uh, I don't know if you've ever played uh, Shadowrun, which I haven't played uh, myself, although I have read the rule books. Uh, but it's a similar system to that, in which it has um, a pool of dice, and you roll a pool, and you uh, simply compare successes to failures, and like epic successes to epic failures, and you know whatever has. Um, the 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 most dice pool in its pool sort of wins uh when you're trying to like figure out a uh, a skill test um but what i think gives it uh some interesting dynamic flair and um what makes it what makes it super engaging is the how you can kind of determine you can you can fail and you can have a positive result so it creates this really interesting situation for the the game master where they have to think of a scenario in which of course you failed your stated action but you have a positive result so it really um it really keeps the game moving and it makes it feel very star wars oddly enough but like i said i've played maybe three or four games of that so far so I'm not gonna. Uh, I don't think I'm gonna dive into that. But uh, let's instead. We'll get to riffs next. But let's instead, since we're talking about it, let's let's talk about Star Wars: The Role Playing Game, designed by Greg Kostikian. Kostikian. Uh, I'm not good at pronouncing things, as you can probably tell. And it was published by West End Games first in 1987. Um, but I don't know about you, but I played the 1992 uh, version 2 rule uh, revision. Now we got that pretty early on. Because I remember, I think the original cover was just the original um, A New Hope, one of the New Hope posters, if I'm remembering the book correctly. I I'm believe staring, you're correct. Yeah, I'm staring at the, the, the I think, the third revised edition or second, maybe. I'd yeah. have to. I'd have to get up to get it anyway. Um, yeah, no, we played pretty early on, uh, just because we were massive uh, Star Wars fans, and um, Western uh, games. I think I really enjoyed the system. It was a D six system, mm -hmm. and for me, that just seemed like that. You know, was easier to kind of figure out. You didn't have to worry about like 
go in too high with numbers. You just have the it, it. It could allow you to roll a ridiculous amount of dice. I guess it was the big thing, you know, of like when you look at Darth Vader's stats and his lightsaber skill was twelve d six. You're like, uh, okay. Yeah, well, uh, shit. <laughs> you Let know, me break like, out the abacus. Yeah, hold, hold on. No, you're just getting ready to, like, you know, all the dice are rolling all over the table to just spew it, and you have to gather them all up and be like, all right, hold on, that's a six. It's All right, I hit you for, like, 92 points of damage. You go, whoa, okay. Or, like, all right, did you dodge? I rolled a seven. And it, it was interesting because I felt that system got its heroes... And uh, villains correct because y- you weren't like if you're level one, you weren't killing Darth Vader, right? You know what I mean? So yeah, oh yeah, a lot of fond memories with West End games. That uh, that system was good, I remember, and it seemed fairly easy to grok. And God, grok, <laughs> understand? <laughs> I spent too much time in this industry, obviously. Uh, and I, uh, I picked it up in high school. Like I said, I had the, uh, 1992 second edition release. And for me at the time, I don't think they had announced that George Lucas was working on the prequels. So it wasn't clear that we would ever get star Wars again. Uh, there had just been return of the Jedi. And after that, there was it they were just kind of silent you had the marvel comics of course and the books um to to sort of shape your idea of the of the greater star wars universe but in general you didn't know and so you had this role-playing game and for fans like me who star wars was a was a huge part of their uh life and something that they that i just was fascinated by uh, having the ability to make, create my own stories and use these set of rules to set them in the universe that I love so much was was incredible. It was a way for me to extend the the thing, the property that I loved, um, and and be able to tell my own stories in that space. Um, and I think what is sort of unique about the time. And not to become too overly uh, nostalgic, but th- that was a time when there was a lot. the The Star Wars universe was a lot bigger in a way because we there was so much less that we knew about it um, based on the movies. Obviously, there was the books and the expanded universe, but that was wasn't wasn't really as well established. So, I think now you have a much sort of narrower box to work in because there's a lot more of the i think with the the stuff that comes from disney and the prequels and um even the post prequel lucas stuff uh that has sort of defined the universe in a more concrete and solid way and so there was something sort of unique about that period of time and how we thought about what Star Wars was, what it could be, um, compared to uh, what we know that it is today uh, with all those the, the materials that are in canon, which is not to say that I don't love uh, a lot of it or all of it. 
um but it was just uh it, it was something where you as a fan had a little bit more ownership and one of the ways you could you could obtain that ownership was by by playing this game no ex- exactly it's one of those it it is really one of those games that I don't know for you, but for me, informed a lot of my views on Star Wars, uh, the the canon stuff itself, how maybe I, you know, the the standard, how I would do something or how I viewed something within Star Wars. A lot of, yeah, my thoughts, my views, my takes are based off of the games we played because we never, we always did what they would refer to as homebrew. So we would never really run modules. We would never really run, like, okay, you're gonna you're meeting uh, Luke Skywalker, and he's gonna help you do this. It was like, no, we we didn't run any of those type of games. We ran games where we were the heroes of the story, so to speak. Obviously, those other characters existed, and you know, it took place during the you know time of the Empire. But you know, we were rebels. We were you know we were using the crack and rebel field guide and making crazy shit and blowing things up and we were telling our own stories kind of helping out the uh the rebellion on that sense yeah it's uh it was definitely a conscious decision by my me when we would play these games not to include any uh characters that the players would be familiar with um and i think most of that was because i just wasn't 100% confident that I could pay off the voice of those characters not not in terms of impression uh, but like truly in, in terms of their action and how they they were presented to the to the players uh, I wasn't sure that I had that I could command that voice that I could make them believe it I was almost positive it would just take them out of the uh of the experience um so it was better to forge your own path so to speak i could see that i think i you know i never asked my brother what he thought or you know when he was running games about it but i think i would take it to the point where those stories have already been told trying to fill in those gaps or trying to do anything like that it wasn't as interesting as being able to be our own um you know our our own heroes you know i i've played characters who are like you know ex imperial tie fighter pilots and you know smugglers and the uh what the quasotic jedi or something like that and like all the weird little uh character classes you could play i've you know i, I tried them all one way or the other um and telling really unique stories with it and that's what I kind of liked about the system. It was flexible enough to let you get away with the things that you wanted to do and simple enough where like you could fudge it if you needed to. Um, that's why I think for me it made it was such a, a an easy game for me to start to be a game master in because one, I loved Star Wars too. I had some crazy ideas about how I viewed Star Wars, and um, you know, I wanted to be able to get them on wax. And um, yeah, so the first game I remember was out of a module because I I needed a building block. My my improvisation skills 
were good as a player, but not great as a, a game master. I'm trying to remember. It was one of the... God, that now that'll kill me. I'm sure the book is here, too. Um, <laughs> uh, but, you know, from that, then what really hooked me, though, and I think this actually ties into what you were talking about as far as, you know, forging your own stories and stuff without things that never really existed was the old Republic uh, uh, source book that came out. Um or Knights of the Old Republic, uh, pretty much all based off the uh, Dark Horse comic series, which you know took place like four thousand years before Luke was born or something. And that was such a that was just such a wild ride because here was this thing that was based off of you know comic books that I didn't really read. Um, I love the Cam Kennedy drawn covers that you would get from time to time, but like the art itself wasn't. Uh, never grabbed me, but the idea of what took place before all this stuff in Star Wars happened uh, left so much room to imagination where you could just kind of think of whatever you wanted or f- fill it in because you weren't beholden to the the main story beats, right? Obviously the Sith were around and, you know, the Old Republic was around and Jedis were a thing which weren't really anything available if you played the main system. You could have all of that, and I think that really opened up my mind's eye to uh, feeling free with the game, being able to come up with my stories and my characters and my bad guys and all that stuff. I, I absolutely love that uh, that run. That's that that's when I knew I could DM was that 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 source book. That's awesome. Um, I think for me. I has have always been more of a DM or a GM. I think because when I was growing up, um, I it's a long story, but there was I were I lived on a boat um, in like Central America, <laughs> it's, like everyone's been prone to. Yep, like like you do when you're growing up. You know when you're uh, when you're uh, a, a wee lad. And, uh, you know, there was only so much uh, that was fun and engaging for a kid. So we would make up stories about like our own uh, because it was it was me, um, my younger brother and uh, a stepbrother. And we would kind of come up with these collaborative stories about you know, our Lego sets and characters, and we would come up with an entire superhero universe. And so I think I took that sort of collaborative storytelling and then becoming a a game master or a dungeon master was um, sort of a second skin or a second nature to me. And um, as far as Star Wars goes, again, I I don't have any, like, specific grand tales, but um, I do remember that... Uh, it was really presented the fact that you are at the mercy of your player group and they would just do so many creative things that I would have no idea where uh, they possibly came up with it. I, I could never predict where exactly what they would do. Um, you know, like I had a guy who uh, got several of his limbs sliced or blown off and were had to be replaced with cybernetics. 
uh, he was Jeez. an ex-Imperial guard and uh, used that knowledge to bring down a Star Destroyer at one point. Um, but people seem to to enjoy that one. Um, I I also played with I played with a stereotypical uh, player who is uh, always trying to get laid, which is God. I hate that shit. It's always I, a, as a GM. It's always a little. I mean, it's it borderline uncomfortable, but also you're you're just trying to tell a story, just trying to get people into the fun. And this guy is like, "Are there any chicks there, though? Oh, oh boy." <laughs> Oh, look at this place. Where's all the chicks? That's gross to say uh, to begin with, but um, uh, eventually I just tried to uh, I tried to sort of gently wean him off that behavior by introducing uh, Mace? Uh, yeah, no. Just him Mace Windu. Uh, I introduced him as a character and he would just pop out and beat him up whenever he was being a, a toxic uh, male, but no, I, I introduced a um, a randomized percentage chart of space STDs, <laughs> um, and so every time he would do it, I was like, "Yeah, go ahead," but roll this percentage dice. And so there was all sorts of gross stuff happening to him by you know, game two or three. <laughs> oh, that's a good way to handle it. Yeah, you know, you just kind of sometimes you gotta give people. Uh, what they want. What they want, yeah. <laughs> so there you go, you aspiring GM slash DMs listening to this, whoever you are. Space STDs. Space STDs. It's the answer to every problem. So uh, do we want to talk about Star Wars a little bit more, or do we want to move on to the next one I have, which is Riffs? Uh, I mean, I I could talk lovingly about Star Wars, uh my my whole like my whole crazy arc that would tie certain characters in together and things like that oh, god i do that too often note to self john quit saying and things like that <laughs> you are better than that you have a larger vocabulary than that it doesn't sound like you do but i know i do i've heard anyway. him say other words i can vouch for this yeah um you know, I, I I mean, I had uh, lightsabers with guns on them, and that was something that I hadn't seen before. Uh, uh, P.S. Dave Filoni. Sounds like yeah. Dave Filoni perpetrated a felony on you. <laughs> yeah, he might have been listening at the door when we were running some of these games. I could see him with one of those uh, Return of the Jedi cups from McDonald's <laughs> pressed up against the door and be like, lightsabers with guns on them yeah and i'm talking this is circa 1995 so i feel pretty confident about that it's pre ezra bridger uh, ezra was not a gleam in his imaginary dad's eye when i thought of that that's (laughs) and it was cool he was like is yeah oh yeah we i did so many crazy adventures the the one thing i remember um, I'll, I'll tell this real quickly, then let's move on to Rifts for sure. Um, I remember my friend uh, Noah, there's very few people I know uh, that I can count on, like probably one hand, that can take and look at a book, dissect it, and min-max. Now, West End Games kind of difficult to min-max, but um, I always liked 
the players to feel a little more heroic. So if they had a disadvantage or something, because they were such a professional in their field, they could waive that disadvantage. And um, so that's what Noah did because he wanted to play this. Uh, it was called a jump trooper, an old republic, where they had this giant-looking rocket pack, and they would jump around on the battlefield and stuff like directly in Smash, and they wore heavy armor, and really cool visual and stuff. But I knew the minute he took that restriction of using that rocket pack, he's like, "No, I've been using it so much, it made sense to me." It just became one of these things where he's flying all over the place and trying <laughs> to hit his ass was impossible. So uh, I introduced a bounty hunter who was going after the group named uh, Snake. Of course. Because, uh, you know, scorpion, snakes, metal. Um, also, at the time, I was uh, I loved Metal Gear Solid. So my snake looked like Snake, Solid Snake, in, uh, in space. So I, I thought it worked at the time, and uh, I remember Noah was jumping around, but one of the things I knew he didn't read was the fact that if the um, rocket pack gets hit, there's like a real big chance this thing will explode, because uh-huh. it's, you know, it, it's an engine on your back, things will happen. So I, I took a pop shot at the rocket pack with Snake, and I hit it. And I blew that thing up, and he landed on the ground, and he was like knocked out, like the 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 explosion, the damage die, like it didn't kill him, but it hurt him really bad. <laughs> and he was like, "What? You can't do that?" And I was like, "Yeah, read right underneath the rocket pack, dude." He read it, and he was like, "I would have never chose this if this would have been the case." <laughs> I was it's like, too well, late now. I was like, dude, imagine running around with a giant jug of gasoline on your back. Some people throwing matches at you. Eventually someone's going to set that sucker off. <laughs> That's a good analogy. Yeah, so after he did that, he, he didn't jump around as much. It's kind of nice. <laughs> That's it's a good way to uh, deal with a min-maxer. I like uh, the character you introduced to sort of counter his, uh, his hopscotching around. That was good stuff. You know it. All right, so... Now we move on to Riffs. Riffs was designed by Kevin Sim... 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 We've always said Simbita. Simbita, yes. Kevin Simbita, CJ Carrilla, Kevin Long, Patrick Nowak, Julius Rons, Rosenstein. And, yeah, that group also did... Sorry, Julius Rosenstein, not Julian... Julius? Julius. I can't see my riff book from where I'm at. I'll believe you. Yeah. Well, that's what Wikipedia says, and you know, they oh. are always 100% right. Uh, that is true. <laughs> Love the wiki. <laughs> yeah, they, they were also um, popular for Ninjas and Super Spies and Heroes Unlimited. And Those Ninjas were... and Super Spies was the first game that they made? No. no. Heroes Unlimited. Okay. Yeah, Heroes, if if someone out there wants to correct me on that, it should be Heroes Unlimited, Ninjas and Super Spies, and then Riffs. Um, they had a fantasy game that that also kind of came out. Not, I, I want to say, I think a little after Riffs too, but once Riffs came out, there was really no reason to come out with any other system. Yeah, I, I vaguely remember that fantasy system, though I never played it. 
and uh, Riffs was originally uh, released by Palladium Books uh, Mm -hmm. in 1990 and uh, I believe they're still they're still putting them out they do Uh, they put out um, that's the one thing I always loved about they always put out source books and with Riffs was such a uh, I'll just go over the premise of Rifts real quick. Uh, think of this as a somewhat post-apocalyptic Earth. The reason why Earth is in a post-apocalyptic state is um, because these giant rifts opened up uh, near ley line points. Ley lines are the magical energy that travels through a, a living being planet, Earth uh, forces. So in this instance, Rifts would uh, open up and these dimensional beings would spew through and the dimensional beings could be anything it could be aliens it could be robots it could be orcs it could be dragons it could be you know gi joe it literally could you could have whatever you want kind of come through a rift because those rifts opened to different worlds different dimensions it kind of gave you a, a buffet of whatever you want to kind of run you could run with the exception of running cybernetics from ninjas and super spies, don't ever do that. Never make a ninjas and super spies cyborg and then come to rifts because you will get murked. <laughs> Whoops. I have made a big mistake. Yeah, like, I got robot arms. Yeah, that's cute. <laughs> Rip. Oh, my robot arms are gone by stronger, better robot arms. If Whoops. You make, a ro- make a robot... Make a robot and riffs. Yeah, you don't want those those uh, those cheap ninjas and super spies robots. Those things just fall apart. Yeah, you go to riffs garbage. and just fall apart. It's uh, it's terrible. It, so it'd be like duct taping a butter knife to your uh, Roomba. Exactly. So yeah, like you said, uh, riffs is so fascinating because it is really just the the fruit salad of uh, role playing games uh you have and they all the hits are there uh are you into uh like ufology and cryptids and stuff they got them uh you like lovecraftian monsters but hate the racism great come to rifts there's (laughs) the racism is less um but uh they got like the Bermuda Triangle is featured because the the where the ley lines come together the 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 channels of uh, of psychic energy that you were talking about where they come together are in all those uh, famous mysterious places uh, such as the Bermuda Triangle or or uh, Giza uh, the pyramids of Giza or the Stonehenge um, and and uh, and so. At the nexus is where you could the rifts occur, and it's like the only place you could actually see a rift. And that uh, that whole setting was just endlessly fascinating to me. And you mentioned the um, the the source books, and those were things that I just loved to connect collect. It, you know, while taking this sort of walk down memory lane, I realized that I didn't actually play that much rifts. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. I uh, I played a few games, I'm sure, here and there, 
but for me it was really more about collecting the books like i loved learning about the characters and i loved learning about the classes and the world um because just let me if you're unfamiliar with the pro uh, the property let me just give you like a few examples of the crazy crap they have in there like yeah, wash over me brother yeah, so, Lay it on me. like uh, during this cataclysm and where there was this giant burst of psychic energy and that's the that's what the source of magic they use in rifts um uh, is potential psychic energy or ppe um and there was this giant explosion and it caused all these rifts to to open up but during you know it takes place the the apocalypse took place in modern day so there are space stations that are in orbit where um they're cut off from the earth after this like thing happens and they have to evolve on their own and so they're now like there is the space station that's filled with like an island of dr moreau animal human hybrids who are uh you know def not only like keeping pe aliens from coming to earth but keeping from anyone on earth from leaving there is uh rifts the, the japan in the rift setting hello everybody your friend forest here just jumping in to warn you that the following description of rifts japan is completely wrong uh, i got a few of the big details kind of right but in general uh my memory of this uh, thing that I love so much seems to be a bit different than reality. So for your edification and your reference, uh, here is the uh, fandom-approved uh, wiki uh, synopsis for Rifts Japan. Uh, four pre-Rift cities suddenly materialized from a pocket dimension. For them, it has been three days uh, since the Great Cataclysm began for the rest of humankind. It's been 300 years. Uh, Pre-rift pre glitter boys, people, and technology clash with anti-technology, tra traditionalist magic, and oni demons. Uh, so there you go. That's the that's the real description. And uh, please enjoy me bungling it. Uh, pretty much uh, stem to stern. Thanks so much is uh they've an old like feudal japan has rifted in into modern japan and like the rest of modern japan has been largely spared so they're like the super high tech uh mixed with uh this ancient uh sort of uh feudal japanese setting um i mean i could go on for hours about juicers juicers oh man fuck yes Glitter Boys, <laughs> the, 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 you know, 12 foot tall mech with a giant gun who looked ridiculous. I was looking at an art of Glitter, Boy, of Glitter Boys while I was doing research for this podcast, and, and they were the silliest looking thing ever, but they had chrome armor, so they glittered in the sun, and that's why they're called Glitter Boys, and... And they had you had to like have pylons that shoot into the ground out of your boots because the gun is so powerful that that's the only way you can fire it. It's it's just it's a it's a setting that is brimming and bursting with creativity that and like interest that no one has done anything with <laughs> in the intervening years. Now, well, I know they've tried. I know that they've they've. Uh, tried making video games 
Um, they made a mobile game that was actually released. Yes, but that that like came and went. Yeah, that was back on the flip phone days, so totally forgettable. Yeah, like uh, I think it was on a Nokia or something mm-hmm. like that, because I couldn't. I remember I couldn't get it, but I was like, <laughs> exactly. I wanted to play it. It was on was a special it? shop; like a hundred people probably bought it. Was it the Nokia gaming phone? I think it was. I don't think it was the Engage. You sh- oh shit! I had an oh. Engage. <laughs> yeah, well, and you didn't play Rifts. What's no. wrong with you? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think you it was are on like cutting edge technology right there. Right. <laughs> I right. I turned it on the side and it looked like a taco when I talked into it. Side talking, man. Awesome. Engage for life. <laughs> We're gonna get you engaged. It was tattoo. terrible. It was terrible. Maybe we'll do an episode about the engage, but yikes. No, I'm I mean, just no, gonna, gonna laugh at you for. For our time, we're not gonna we're not gonna do that. I have nothing to. Say. It was like Tony Hawk was kind of cool, and Tomb Raider sucked, and so did Pandemonium. That was like the only games I played. Yeah, and, and the phone would die after it in the trash. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was bad. Um, but uh, so, but uh, putting that they, aside, yeah, they've tried to do things. I also remember the I I heard the movie rights were out there. Um. It's kind of a pity because it is such a you know, literally a, a cornucopia of whatever you could want. The the source books, uh, some of them were you know just fantastic. To your point, super imaginative uh, takes on the world in that point. And yeah, Rifts Japan. I could tell you right now, everyone who I know who plays tabletops games who are going to listen to this, all three of you, um, they're going to name Rifts Japan as probably one of their favorite source books of all time. It was, it's just, ju- it was good. I, I, that was the one I would keep going back to. Um, and everyone knows I would always uh, make my Ninja Borg. And he'd, he'd, because it was just the most ridiculous thing. Like, you know, I love, you know, giant robots and, you know, uh, superpowers, all this stuff. And you could have all of that in a Rifts game. But then you'd have this giant ninja Borg who is like, because the Borgs there were eight feet tall. So it'd be eight feet tall. I'd have four arms. My, my mouth replaced with this giant beam cannon. (laughs) And because it was like, and normally Borgs are hella loud, but because it's a ninja Borg, it could prowl like at 80%. And it was just like, just picture this giant eight foot composite, four armed, death mouth blast ninja Borg just sneaking up on people. I had so much fun doing that because it was just so ridiculous or like grabbing rail guns with like two hands while I'm punching other dudes with the other two hands or like the the Sohei warrior monks and using like the the, the tree uh, the god like the the tree uh, god they they have these giant like uh, life trees in there or whatever and they would use like wood off of that with their staffs oh man yeah there was a class um, but yeah, they have like a, a Yidrasel tree. Uh, there you go. Um, I don't know if that's what they call it in the that uh, that source book, but it's like that tree. And they had certain classes that would just sort of wait 
for a twig to fall off and then once a twig fell off that would become your staff and it because it was gifted to you by the tree very cool so dope and then like you were talking about juicers like holy holy crap juicers and the juicer uprise yes yeah, south america where like dwarves are fighting vampires and like atlantis has returned <laughs> Oh, Atlantis had great stuff. Way cooler than Aquaman. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'd say set that bar a little higher. <laughs> Not yeah, to tip fair. my hand or anything. That's fair. But, oh yeah, and then the mercenaries books where you could build your own mercenaries companies. Like, you could do it all. And, like... That's what we ended up doing with Rifts eventually. People would run games, they'd tell their stories, but um, eventually my brother, my friend Darius, myself, and my friend Harrison, and my friend Noah, so all of us, we, we all, every other Saturday we would get together and either play tabletop or, you know, uh, video games or something like that. Um, God, I said I did it again. <laughs> and things of that nature but a lot of times uh, when we would want to play like a game or someone had something what we did was we created a mercenary company using that mercenary book and then we created a round robin system where pretty much anyone could be a GM so each of us would create a character or two or three that would populate this uh uh, you know this adventure or you know you would just be the dm and then you know your guys were off that week and then the people playing were the ones those characters so that way we would mix and match characters so if the mission felt like it needed something a little different people could pick different characters and that way it just kind of let them diversify and i love doing that because a lot of those were always off the cuff it was just I would come up with a very basic outline of what you guys were going to do and then just kind of walk them through it and just to see what happened because here it was. But I did that this week. And then the following week, you know, like someone else would pick up and run their own game or maybe it was a two-parter. Or sometimes if one adventure was short and someone else had another one, we'd do one and then go through another one. And, you know, we'd mix it up. And Rifts was that, like, was that flexible using all the systems and the books that they had for us to be able to kind of uh, try everything um, outside the, um, I don't say outside the box, but... Outside uh, the let bun. It, yeah, outside the bun. Uh, the lettuce wrap, if you will. <laughs> it, 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 it allowed me to... Listen, man, it you know that's Taco Bell. Yeah, well, I don't talk about Taco <laughs> Bell no more. Go ahead. Uh, but it, it allows me to accept more when being creative myself. That's awesome. Yeah, I I, I don't know why I never... Uh, I, I can't remember the games I played or how many... But uh, I do remember just how varied and interesting that world was. Uh, and just, uh, just one of the... Just, just one of my favorites to think about, although obviously not the one I play the most. And I do know I've had people ask me if I would run a Heroes Unlimited game or a Rifts game. So I'm I'm actually going to be dusting off those books soon to get reacquainted. Um, try to get something started back up. 
Fantastic. If I do, I'll let you know. Definitely. Uh, count me in. <laughs> I t- just talking about it, I'm like, oh, geez, I want to I wanna roll a character right now. <laughs> uh, I, I guess you could say the granddaddy of them all. Dungeons mm. and dragons and popcorn. <laughs> no, <laughs> just Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> yeah, no. There's plenty of Funyuns and Doritos. Sure, and- yeah. Popcorn is a little pedestrian for a D and D game. Yeah, I, I don't know what type of D and D you D and D, but you didn't D and D the way we D and D. You're like you sound like an alien who has just heard of this just now. Um, <laughs> Would you care for some popcorn? <laughs> I have snacks such as popcorn and plain water. Get him out of here! <laughs> Where's my Mountain Dew? And there's uh, not nearly enough Doritos in this conversation to make me comfortable. Zeebzorp, yeah. now get us some Doritos and you can join our game. We don't care if you're an alien. Two bags of nachos, one bag of Cool Ranch. That yeah. always seemed to be the... Yeah, you mix together in one bowl and you just uh, have a little bit of a Russian roulette. But... Uh, <laughs> of good time. <laughs> yeah, a Russian roulette of, of awesome. Where, where there's never a bullet. Right? It's that... <laughs> it's just flavor. It's just flavor empty. country. <laughs> just flavor country, exactly. Just, oh, this tastes like cheese, I think. <laughs> This tastes like a cooled ranch. <laughs> it's such a cool ranch. It's so cool. Um, <laughs> so, uh, Dungeons & Dragons was designed by Gary Gygax and Dave Arneson. Arneson? Sure. And uh, it was originally published by TSR back in 1974, but now, of course, um, Wizards of the Coast has bought that property, and so they... They publish uh, the current D&D books, uh, but uh, uh, probably I would have to say that most people I run into are more familiar with Advanced Dungeons & Dragons, which came out in 1977. So, uh, like I said before, I uh, I remember seeing that that red starter box uh, with the with the guy, uh, the bar- bar- barbarian or warrior on the front uh, who's got that blue armor and the giant red dragon and all that gold and just a a beautiful painting and um i i got it when i was very young i remember playing like a couple of games in grade school or maybe a game or two but not really getting into it because it was kind of hard for me to wrap my little kid head around um my older brother wasn't uh playing it or or if he was i wasn't at those games Uh, i think there was too much of probably an age difference there and um it wasn't i I, when thinking back i as i mentioned before my high school role-playing was mostly riffs and star wars so i didn't start really playing DD until college um, which was kind of shocking to because it's such a part of my um, my my pop culture um, mosaic or quilt, I guess. Uh, <laughs> that, um, I was sort of surprised to 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 be kind of uh, rifling through my memory and, and really um, only realizing it wasn't until college when I really started playing it, but. I, um, you know, it's, what can you say about it? It's, it's so much part of popular culture now that a lot of more people are aware of it. And, you know, it's 
on uh, there are very popular streams on Twitch where people play um, D and D. But uh, there was a couple of things that I I did in my D and D games which I had tested out briefly in when I had been uh, playing back when I was younger. But uh, I do something called a prologue campaign where I have mm-hmm. the characters play pre-rolled um, characters that I've invented, and then I have them play through a scenario, and almost always they die at the end. Like, there's no way for them to not, um, because those characters are not theirs to, to play with. They're just there to introduce the bad guy, basically. But I have basically a cold open uh, mini-quest that's usually done in a session, and um, one that I remember uh, pretty well is I did uh, I had this whole do you, are you familiar or you probably are are you familiar with the Eberron setting yes yes so it, that's the uh, the the setting that has sort of like a, a magic punk aesthetic it's it's got a little bit of technology in there but it's almost all powered by magic and crystals and cool stuff like that so I had set this was back this was after college this was probably one of the lunchtime games I would run because it was a good way you know as you got older it's just harder to find time for everyone to get together and you know spend four or five hours um, tabletop role-playing game or even two so a good way to do it was to do it at work i found because you have a captive audience and sometimes it evolves and people want to stay after um but i I designed this one game where uh, i had the characters take over a detective agency from uh, a deceased detective and uh to introduce them to that setting i had them go like I said, on this prologue campaign where they explored some cigarettes, fought some centipedes, and then eventually they had this uh, suit-wearing mind flare who had like a cane with a silver tip, uh, you know, like a some sort of silver headpiece, and um, it was very posh, uh, was introduced. He killed the prologue characters, and then, this, these, then the character's main... Um, player characters, I guess then they were allowed to introduce those as the beneficiaries of this inheriting this detective agency and uh, I had stuff planned out, like I had the entire arc planned out where it was like about this villain who had been kidnapping elves and like sapping their uh, strength to open a portal to another dimension and then I was going to make the other dimension this world so they would be much like He-Man, basically. <laughs> it's basically the plot to He-Man. <laughs> where the player characters would be sort of thrust into the real world and then they'd have to fight their way back to uh, the Eberron setting. Um, but I, I had a couple things in there that uh, I, I liked, but I never got to play out because we never finished the game. But um, I had a... Uh, the I was going to introduce them sort of introduce the player character, reintroduce the player characters to the big bad uh, through the use of this uh, insurance agent who would <laughs> appear whenever they would cause too much, uh, they would cause uh, like too much property damage. Uh, a gnome with like a suit on 
who was part of the <laughs> Overmind Insurance Agency, would appear. And at first, it would be very jovial. Like, I introduced them into the game, and we played it a, a couple times, but um, I never was able to... It basically just gets more and more sinister, and then that leads them to this, the the big bad. But a couple of memorable moments. I We had... Um, uh, a, a character playing a wooden and metal construct that is animated by magic. It's one of the playable races you can be. And th- he had a, uh, a cage in his stomach because he doesn't have internal organs where he kept a kitten that he had found, but he forgot about it and then jumped into a canal. <laughs> like oh I mean. no. And so he killed the kitten he had um, because I kind of like I let him do it. I didn't like remind him that this was happening. And then a little while later, I, sa- I said, "Hey, you know, remember that kitten?" <laughs> and uh, then I just had like him be haunted by a kitten ghost for the rest of the oh, game. Jeez. Um, oh. And then I would just like roll percentages where he would be like distracted by the the kitten ghost. Uh, but yeah, so that was like. I've I've played a lot of other games. Uh, I've played games as a players, and uh, I've, I've even played the spinoff of the 3.5 rule set, which is called Pathfinder, uh, which I actually find really accessible and good. Um, it's more complex uh, than I think D and D's these days. Certainly more complex than Fifth Edition, and uh, maybe slightly more complex than the current system, but. Um, but yeah, that the, that specific campaign really stood out to me because um, there was just a lot of funny stuff and having the an insurance agent who, I mean, I thought it was very clever. The <laughs> I had them they had a little jingle that was um, was like the uh, nationwide jingle. <laughs> it's like nationwide is on your side. Uh, the jingle was over mine sees what you do. <laughs> uh, that sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah. So D and D is just a, it's a, it's a really good system to, uh, pick up and play, especially these days. They've made it so accessible and so interesting and they're just nonstop putting out uh, really good content for it, um, and they have a lot of free stuff too, which is which is great. There's also a ton of because D and D is so ubiquitous. There's a ton of supporting material um, that you can get on uh, like Steam or or whatever else uh, that really um, can make your gaming experience much more streamlined and cool. Um, but you must have it sounds like you go way back with D&D. Yes. Like I said at the earlier I play with my brother, you know, with my brother's friends. You know, we all became friends at that point. Um I think like I said he just had the babysit me so I'd roll up a character and I would just just do things or try things, you know. A lot of times it was I was either always a barbarian or a fighter. Um those it's funny i think those are still the only the classes the classes i still grasp the most it's more more action-packed not the thinking man's class so to speak um but yeah we would play on and off it was the red box version Uh, that's what i remember so during like my 
middle school years and things, uh, we wouldn't play D&D. We were mainly playing either Heroes or Rifts or um, Star Wars. Or there was a good period where we played Babylon 5, the role-playing game. Um, there you go. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, I, I love that game. Uh, I think that's some of my brother's best stuff. Um, and then I got kind of back into... Uh, Dungeons and Dragons 2009 um, uh, they, there was a work game that was being run of, of 3.5 um, I heard 3.0 was just atrocious yeah. as far as rules went and so 3.5 was the means to be able to help uh, fix it up and I don't think four or four was out but people um it was a real love hate with four um because what they did from 3.5 was they made it more like a mmo yeah it was just like wow um i actually really liked four i never four was fine like all like it's all skill checks and every action can be related back to a skill check that being said, um, it did sort of it did sort of simplify the power selection and sort of how you could construct a class. So I could definitely see why people didn't like it. But I think earlier I was saying that I've said five when I actually meant four. Um, uh, as always, don't at me. Um, but so just yeah, I, to uh, go back to Pathfinder for a second, that's why Pathfinder is so good because pathfinder is 3.75 or uh it's basically the 3.5 rules further polished and um made uh even perfected even further so uh i'm trying to remember if i played fifth edition with friends first yeah i think i played a couple of games at a, a friend of mine's house a fifth edition i really liked it 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 felt very well balanced in a weird way uh where like in earlier editions and i think that's why a lot of people had gripes with five or four was that you could not min max or there weren't optimal builds obviously even in fifth edition now there are builds you could make that would probably be gross if you're like a true number cruncher but that's still always predicated on whether the dm will allow you to play with that rule set or using those abilities or whatever. Um, so I, I felt it was very uh, balanced. Like, it felt like they played it a long time. Like, their playtesters were playing and giving feedback. Yeah, I actually like downloaded that uh, that original uh, beta test when I think it was called... It was called D&D Next for a while. Yes. Yeah, I, I, I tried that out. Uh, I was like, wow, this is going to be really fun and they changed it fairly significantly during that process i was pretty impressed the lengths that they were willing to go to to balance it but you're absolutely right about fourth edition that was definitely the the that major gripe is that it was much more limiting in terms of how you built your character the stories you could tell as a dm were still as good i felt like um but for the players they made the the progression so simplified that it you were really literally like 
choosing sets of powers from a from a tech tree um or uh, yeah like a yeah a, like any if you've played any mmo you're familiar with like um choosing a specialization and and working your way down that tech tree and that was pretty much what four was all about it was a great way to get people who weren't familiar with it uh in because it was simple but that's maybe about it no i think that was it was just trying to account for the mmo you know onslaught from wow and all these other MMOs coming out at the time, uh, Star Wars, Galaxies, that was just taking people's role-playing adventures, EverQuest, you know, and they were just trying to counter that. Yeah, draw them away with something familiar. Yeah, and it just realistically, for people who play those type of games, or I'll just speak for myself, um, being able to kind of play with the class and... Uh, make choices for myself and how they'll kind of operate is a bigger I I like that versus being able to everyone's kind of cookie cutter sure everyone's very similar you know like if you play one ranger it's going to pretty much be like this other ranger that's in the group versus if you play with fifth edition you could have two rangers i don't know why you would but you could have two rangers and they could be wildly different specializations where one's all about beast and stuff and the other one's all about shooting people with a boat you know like you're you're just all about trying to deal single damage and you know unique characters what uh what's been your favorite D D character that you've made so far well so i i so I have a few. Um, so the one I mentioned earlier, Trainor, the half elf ranger, that was a real, is a real character. Um, for a short time, I did a podcast with a few friends of mine, and we would play games and things like that. So Trainor was one of the characters that was featured in that podcast. Is that still available? Can people still seek that out? Yes, you can. It's uh, Orc Chop Express is the name of the YouTube channel. You should still be <laughs> able to find it. Uh, big fans of uh, Big Trouble Old China. So uh, we also did. If you ever want to see what I look like for some godforsaken reason, you can go on to YouTube and look up uh, Orc Chop Express per D M P E R D M. Right, like. Like, you know, company gives you per diem per day. Any, anyway, whatever. Very clever. <laughs> I, I, I thought so. I thought it was a very creative name. Um, and that's where we would kind of go over uh, Dungeon Master, like running games, uh, commentary, all that type of stuff. Um, so it, God damn it, I did it again. <laughs> I'm going to have to write this on my wall. Okay. Quit saying that. Hey, well, the, uh, you're going to be editing it, so you can just edit that part out. Yes, I'm going to edit. Every time you hear me say that, it's going, <laughs> <You're> <laughs> and I'm going to put, put it at the out. beginning, and now no one will know what the fuck that is. Um, so Trainor, I had a lot of fun, just because, uh, you know, he's a half-elf, but whenever, you know, they'd be like, okay, well, you know, you say something in Elvish, I'd always go like, pluck, tuck, <laughs> right? i do Klingon. <laughs> and no one can tell you it's not Elvish. Well, like, I remember we saw a dragon, and, I, you know, I was a dragon, like, my character's backstory was that his mother was a part of this group called the uh, Night Talons, 
which like exclusively would hunt rogue dragons and things of that nature. I almost said it again. <laughs> things of that nature. And um, <laughs> um, she got uh, killed and um, by a black, like an evil dragon, so he wanted to go Avenger. And so he's a dragon hunter type of thing, but, you know, first level, you're not hunting dragons, but it's kind of cool to roll with that group. Um, but yeah, so anytime I'd see a dragon or something, I'd go, pluck, tuck! <laughs> that meant dragon. I, I, and then uh, every time I'd shoot a, my bow, I'd always go twip. <laughs> so it's like, twip, twip, twip. And then I, I loved playing it, because everyone just thought that's all I could do is shoot a bow. But then there was an adventure where I got captured or something. And uh, I grab like a sword and I just start going ham on people. And they're like, wait, you could stab people too? Mm. I said, yes. <laughs> oh, yeah, I can stab and shoot. And I was like, well, why don't you get in there and start stabbing? And I was like, no, because I'm better at shooting than I am at stabbing. <laughs> and shooting someone is like stabbing them from very far away. So <laughs> that's a good. Uh, yeah, I love Trainor. And then recently, we did this uh, game. It was a lot of fun, where I played. Um, it was kind of Viking, uh, Pantheon inspired, where everyone. Uh, I won't say we were Vikings, but we were part of like the Viking esque Pantheon or whatever. And we were charged with uh, preventing Ragnarok. Okay. So we had to go to different areas and what uh, the GM would do, uh, James, he would have us kind of go into these different... I think we went to Ravenloft for Halloween. We went to the snowy area for um, uh, Krampus. Okay. <laughs> Very theme appropriate, very on brand. Uh, Winona Traylin, who was a sorcerer, her dad was a wood elf, and her mom was a half elf, half human, half drow. So it's like a third, a third and a half. And I wanted that because I wanted the abilities drow had, but without the um, the the sunlight penalty. So it was the one way I could figure that away with it. <laughs> Talk about min just well just a little bit because the the thing is the big secret was right where she hated odin would she would rag on odin all the time um and the reason was was he found out or she found out later on that that was her dad was odin came down doing you know odin's odin thing um Kind of like, you know, how Zeus did Zeus thing. Sure. So anyway, so she hated Odin for that. So she would rag on him all the time. But unfortunately, she had to sit and spread the the power and wealth of, um, like, you know, the Viking gods to be able to turn these realms to our side so that way we can prevent Ragnarok type of thing. Kind of gathering an army. So I went from a sorcerer to bard because I found that I was just using my charisma all the time where I'd be convincing people to do things or I'd be performing, you know, mad, uh, performing um, music. So 
I just naturally started going to bar and that's I had so much fun because it was just a character where normally where I would just be, you know, shooting fireballs and lightning and doing all that, I actually used a lot more performance, a lot more conversational things. So that way, um, I wasn't relying on the same old tropes. Yeah, I, like I said, I mostly DM, but the few Pathfinder games that I did play, which were DM'd by uh, this fellow by the name of uh, Sean. Um, I'm not going to use his last name because <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if he's cool with it. So uh, his name is Sean. He was a brilliant DM. Uh, he would create these incredible incredibly detailed worlds and and he would populate an entire map with with uh you know points of interest and and design all that stuff and then sort of uh let us loose on an open world um and improvise using that structure uh, which was a really great way to do it and i believe in that game i believe in his game I, i think i settled on a bard as well and uh i used a lot of the like the stinging insults and stuff the the way that they could say magical insults to enemies and hurt them i thought was something super novel and anytime i used it i would try to think of an insult (laughs) that might hurt the feelings of the thing i was attacking you know as we just kind of been talking about role-playing games in general and thinking about how i transitioned from a player to a DM slash GM. Uh, I always think GM first because more of the games I played were uh, G- as GM than DM. Um, how a lot looser I became with it. Before I would, oh, I have a campaign or I'm running, I have the story arcs and I would write out all the characters and all their interactions and I was very focused on that delivery just trying to tell a good story and then with um high school since i went to you know uh high school it's not unlike fame not fame but uh for acting you know i'd learn improvisation learned how to talk in front of a crowd if need be i'm still very bashful and don't like doing it but i can turn that on if i need to but uh, taking kind of all those modes then moving into later in life, I found that I would just start improving games with really no hook. I I would spend maybe five minutes thinking about like, okay, where where can we where can I start this? And I started that with a uh, Heroes, uh, no, excuse me, Savage Worlds Star Wars game. We would just play Savage Worlds Star Wars, and I just was just. I would just go for it. Whatever happened, I would pivot. And then I found myself doing the same with even Dungeons and Dragons, where I'd be like, okay, well, we'll start you off. Here's a couple guys you're going to meet. I'll write down a couple names at that. And then I just would go. And it's funny how liberating that is. Obviously, I'd look up things that people would be going to fight, so that way I wasn't creating whole new things right off the bat but uh from that i could kind of pivot you could actually if you go to that orc chop express you can hear me dm the uh 
thing called C uh, Side Quest or something like that. Anyway, and it's just silly, non-sequitur um, style role-playing where, you know, everyone could be exactly who they want to be. I don't really know where I was going with that tangent. It's a tangent. <laughs> well, I think that's an interesting point about the different approaches. I think there's a lot of different approaches to being uh, a DM or a GM, but uh, as long as the everyone's having fun, then it d- doesn't really matter. But it it's uh, it's a unique skill and a special one to be able to uh, improvise a story on the fly, uh, because at the end of the day, it's that's really what it is. It's a community story uh that you tell collaboratively collaboratively with a, a group of friends and uh there's a system built around it that imposes rules and uh that makes it uh a game because everyone has the the chance to do whatever they want um uh, but the the dice the roll of the dice is what determines um if they're able to do that or not um so we could go on about this all night, but we could. Uh, we're not going to. <laughs> so, um, so, do you think if you're someone out there who's listening to this, who's who's exploring their own love of pop culture, and maybe they haven't tried a role-playing game, uh, would you recommend giving that a try? One. Hundred thousand percent. That's a lot. That's a lot more over a hundred. That seems pretty sure, you guys. You better try it. it. There's no reason to. There's so many ways to get involved. Uh, so many systems now. If you just want to play Dungeons and Dragons, none of the other ones because they don't really exist anymore anyway. We're just showing how old we are. <laughs> um, <laughs> Right, but like Dungeons and Dragons, you can go roll twenty. Like you were saying, you could watch Critical Role on Twitch. Uh, Felicia Day runs her uh, group as well. Like there are ways for you to watch it. There are ways for you to play it online, uh, meet people. It's it's a lot of fun and allows you to, and it requires only you. You know, like some dice yourself and, you know, whatever the uh, game master, dungeon master, whatever you want to call it, provides. But, you know, it's it's a great way to boost your imagination and have fun and just kind of disappear in a place for a little bit. Yeah, totally would recommend it. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I would say that if you haven't given it a try... I would definitely, uh, I, I agree with you 100%, you definitely should. Um, it is something that is completely unique, because, it, like I said, it's a way to collaboratively, collaboratively participate in the tor- t- storytelling experience. Sure, there's somebody who, the, the DM or the GM, is they're going to hold the keys to the story. They're going to, to establish the rules and provide a setting. Um, but they don't tell the story. A good game is told by everybody. Uh, they all contribute uh, to the plot, 
to the progression of the story, to what happens to themselves and the NPCs you create. NPCs stands for non-player characters. These are constructs that the, the GM or DM creates that they play. And I think that there are a few things that can match that experience. So absolutely, if you haven't played it, go out and play it. If you have played it in the past and you're lapsed, grab a module, grab some friends and some dice. Uh, you can spare a few hours. And even during these times, which you, it's not advisable to be physically in the same room as your friends, uh, there are a ton of incredible uh, pieces of software. I'm not affiliated with any of these. This is not a paid advertisement for it, but Tabletop Simulator. Um, I think you mentioned Roll20. Yeah, Roll20 is a way to do it. Yeah. There's you've Discord people are using now. Absolutely. Um, D&D Beyond, which has a free and paid for system. Um Hell, you can go on your your app store of choice, and I'm sure there's a character sheet creator right there that'll help you make a character pretty easy. It's totally accessible. I I, I totally forgot to mention what uh, reignited the spark for me in D and D. What's that? Can I do that real quickly before Absolutely. I know we're about to wrap up? Um, I don't know why I didn't mention this earlier, but. So there was a time um, in the video game business where I was working on a Dungeons and Dragons mobile game. Some of you may have played it, some of you may have not. And um, I remember I was added to an email to uh, Wizards of the Coast by accident. And don't worry, I'm not divulging anything that would get me in trouble. I was added to an email by accident, promptly removed off of it, but then the senior digital producer at uh, at Wizards was, hey, it was nice to meet you. And he just wrote me back, just me. And I said, oh, hey, pleasure to meet you. I've been playing, you know, like, there, I, I love working on this game. Big fan. I've been playing D&D on and off for, I think at the time, 28 years. And I started up a friendship with the digital producer over at... Um, wizards of the coast and so every year he would come to gdc he would invite me over just to go visit with him and this was even after the game launched shut down everything he'd still invite me over and then one year for gdc he was like hey do you want to come play D with us and i was like wait play D with the guys who make D?" Yeah, yeah, I want to go do that. <laughs> um, there's no reason why I wouldn't. So uh, I sign up for it. I get there. I meet, you know, meet my friend, and we're going through, you know, meeting everybody around the table. And they're like, "Here's Chris. He's going to be the um, one who runs your game today. He, he works on the book and things like that." And a lot of people knew who this guy was. I had no idea. Um, so we we had some pre-made characters, and. He's running through the th- us through this adventure, and he's terrific. Like one, probably one of the best uh, DM experiences I ever had for the short amount of time. I think we played for like two hours, and he was, you know, very descriptive. If something felt a little wrong, he'd fudge it, and he just went through the, you know, the whole story and everything. 
And they're like, you know, end of the game, everyone's thanking him. And they're like, hey, if you want, he'll sign your book for you. And I was like, yeah, sure, sign my book. And he signed the book, and then they gave us all player handbooks. And I look, and it's like, you know, it, it says, like, um, thanks for playing, Chris Perkins. So, if for anyone listening to this who's familiar with Wizards of the Coast, probably know him. Chris Perkins is uh, one of the story, like kind of designers who has went on to play um, uh, Penny Arcades. Why am I blanking on that? Acquisitions Incorporated. Mm-hmm. Oof, that was going to kill me. I was going to thought I was going to have to edit something. <laughs> it was going to be like Acquisitions Incorporated. And just cut right into that. Um, <laughs> but he would run their big uh, PAX games that they would do. And it was just like seeing this guy who I didn't really know who he was just take us on this, like, I thought maybe he just worked at Wizards. You know, they all play the game. But he was just terrific. And that really just gave me the freedom to kind of see how he was doing things and said, hey, you know, I think I can do something similar. I can run a game. Uh, roughly the same, or let's see how off the cuff I can do it, and that really reignited my uh, my love of uh, pen and paper games. Well, that is a, a great story. I'm glad you uh, you remembered it. I'm but I'm glad it's in the cast. No one calls it a cast. Whatever. <laughs> I'm glad it's on. I'm glad it's on digital wax. Uh, yeah. So yeah, get out there. Uh, if you don't have friends, there are plenty of people on message boards and Reddit and all over the place that uh, would love to uh, invite you to their games and uh, give it a try. Just even if it's just for once, uh, one time, it it's still going to be a rewarding experience, I think. Um. So yeah, recommended two recommends for a milestone on your own person personal pop saga. Um, so before we wrap, uh, John, would you, would you like to give a shout out to the amazing artist who put together our incredible theme music? A song written, um, for a podcast. Um, I thought I was going to have to do it ourselves, uh, acapella style. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, <laughs> it's a podcast. <laughs> it's your pop saga, and um, yeah, so really talented uh, person by the name of Burton M Six. Found him where you find a lot of this stuff on Fiverr. Yeah, he was really easy to work with. Really, uh, really collaborative and. Um, got it in one take as far as we were concerned yeah Um, it was incredible I had no notes I was just impressed yeah I got no notes I had no notes I wasn't going to be I I loved the beat I loved I love it in fact this morning uh, when we were before recording this it was going through my head that's how catchy it was for me so yeah Burton M6 up on Fiverr definitely would recommend if you're looking for anything for your youtube channel your podcast or whatever if you're looking for a theme song this guy's uh, really good yeah seconded heartily well i hope you enjoyed our uh, little quest our side quest into the realm of 
paper and pencil RPGs or role-playing games or whatever you want to call them. I think you just have to call them that. I don't think there's a lot of names, to be honest. <laughs> but, uh, and I hope you'll join us next week where we'll dissect endlessly another bit of our pop culture saga. Um, so yeah, stay happy, stay healthy, stay safe, and we'll see you in a week. Have, yes, a good time. Yes, yes, have a good time. <laughs> yes, of course. Mm, yes, tea and crumpets, and uh, a good time. I'm not good at this talking. Yeah, it's fine. Right. <laughs> I think we're, yeah, we, yeah. Later all. <laughs> okay. All right. Pop Saga, you know we keep it groovy. We talking cartoons, books, TVs, and movies. A couple of nerds, but got style. We so cool. Pop culture, talking new and old school. Yeah, you should know we love hip-hop. From the roots, Ty Lib, shout out to Feral Munch. We giving you what you want. It don't get no liver. Ain't no doubt we got you. This is Pop Saga. Let's go. Oh, yeah, you heard right. This is a lifestyle. Welcome to the nerd life. Pop side.